But it's good to stand here, open God's Word this morning. It's glad that everyone's here and able to watch and able to listen in. So we're going to go ahead and, uh, and dive right into it. So if you could grab your Bibles and turn over to 1 John, 1 John, and we're going to stay here pretty much all day. 1 John 5.13, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. 5.13, 1 John 5.13. John writes, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. Let us pray. God, thank you, Lord, so much for being able to walk into your house today. Mask, hand sanitizer, it doesn't matter. We're in your house. And thank you, Lord, for being able to come in and to spread out and to open your words. Spread the pages of your words and open our minds and hearts to understand. Thank you, Lord, for allowing everyone to be here, everyone to, to watch. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who you've given us to guide us and to illuminate your words so that we can continue to grow and be more Christ-like in our earthly walk. So thank you so much. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Okay. So, not many people come to church want to take a test. But today, we're taking a test. All right. So, who's ever, who's ever pulled an all-nighter studying for a test? Ooh, a few hands shot up real fast, right? I don't, I've, I've only done one, two, maybe two in my life. I haven't had to do... Too many, but I wish I would have prepared a little bit uh, more for that test. Who's ever took a last resort and said, well, let me just sleep with my science book under my pillow and maybe it'll soak in? <laughs> I tried it. Why not? You know, right? Why not? Let's do that. Maybe it'll, it'll get in there. All right. Um, but there's a, there's a right way to prepare for a test and there's a wrong way to prepare for, prepare for a test. I remember uh, in high school going to Miss Thomas's English, AP English class, and it was one of those situations where she was the most intimidating four foot eight woman I've ever had as a teacher in my life. And I remember that first test I went in, and I only thought I was prepared, right? But I learned through that course on how to study, right, so that I would be ready for her test. But she definitely. Um, left me scrambling and anxious those first few tests. But today we're going to look through the First John. We're going to read most of the book. So, so keep your Bibles open to First John. We're going to look through it because uh, throughout his book he gives us three tests. But the purpose of these tests is not to check yes or no. The purpose of this test is to give us the assurance of our salvation. Just like we read in our, in our springboard passage, I write these things so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you know that you have eternal life. Last week, Huff challenged us, right? He said, we're going to open God's Word, we're going to preach God's Word, and we're going to believe God's Word in this church. Just so you know, I secretly looked out the corner of my eyes when he told me the door to see if anybody stood up, right? But it's just like this message that, that John has in this passage. It's either yes or no. You're in or you're out. There is no in between when it becomes to our walk with Christ. So, a little bit about the background of this letter. It's an awesome letter. I told Huff we were going to go from this one, and he said he really enjoys this book. It's hard when all of them are your favorite. But we have those that, that our hearts right, try, to, try to gravitate to a little bit more. But a little bit of the background on the letter of John. So it's a very practical letter. It's a very kind of straightforward letter. There's not um, too much... Um, uh, deep theology, uh, but it does challenge us. And it's a, it's a general letter. We don't know who it's written to. We don't know which church it's written to. But we do know that it's written to someone that has a very special relationship with John, the author. Right? If you'll look in uh, 1 John chapter 2, 1, it starts, it says, My little children. Verse 2, 7 says, Beloved. Right? He has a deep connection with the people that he's writing this letter to. And he also knows that they're going through specific challenges. In 2.19, he says, They went from us, but they were not of us. And the very last verse of this letter, 5.21, it says, And then, it's, excuse me, it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. He knows what they're struggling with. So he has a very 
personal relationship. So what are the people that he writes this letter struggling with? They're struggling with what we've talked a lot about the last few weeks, last few months. They're struggling with false teachings and false doctrines of the world. And he's specifically talked about, we, we've done a little breakdown of, of, of Gnosticism and Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C, right? But I want to give you just briefly a couple of things that they believed so that you can see how they correlate to a lot of things that we hear today and so that we have an answer, so that we're ready to defend our faith and we're ready to stand on the truth that God provides for us. All right? So if you look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to start right there. Okay? We're going to read this because it tells us three lies it tells us three lies about the Gnostics that they believed. All right? So it says, This is the passage we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. Amen. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. So there's three things in this little passage that John um, is fighting against here. And there's three false claims. It says that we can have fellowship. In verse 6, it says that we can have fellowship with God even though we walk in the darkness. That's one of the things that the Gnostics believe. That, hey, we can walk with God. We can be a child of God. We can walk in His light. But we can walk in darkness at the same time. Right? But that's not truth. The truth is, in verse 5, that who is light? God is light. Right? That's the truth. A second lie, it says in verse 8, it says, we are not guilty when we sin. How's that sound? Does that make sense? We're not guilty when we sin in verse 8. But what does verse 7 say? It says, walking in the light is necessary for fellowship with God. If you go into a dark room, can you see anything? No. But when you flip on the light, what happens? You see everything. It exposes it. So when we walk with God, if we do sin, and we will sin, when we walk in the light, God uses that light, His Word, to expose us so that we can continue to see what's wrong and continue to grow. We are guilty of that sin. We want to grow more Christ-like. And then verse 10, it says... We have not sinned. And that's the third false claim that he was going against. But verse 9 says that confession is necessary to restore our fellowship with God. Just like I said, when we see something wrong in our lives, we want to get it out. right? We don't want to live with that sin because we know it's a barrier between us and God and we want to get rid of it. So that's some of the things that, uh, Paul, excuse me, that John was talking about and fighting against the Gnostics. The Gnostics believe that there is a secret knowledge they didn't believe about the relationship. They just believed it was a secret knowledge. And there's not much known about that knowledge, but you either had it or you didn't have it. You're either in or you're out. Right? You're either in or you're out. And this secret knowledge, it led to essentially two different classes of Christians in their sect. But this led to arrogance, a lack of love, and separation. If you live in a world, you either have it or you don't. Right? You know, we tend to look down on other people that we think don't fit the mold of what a Christian should look like. And that was a challenge that I have because that's a perception of what a Christian should look like. But to have that perception, you either have it or you don't, that's not biblical, that is worldly. That is worldly. The Gnostics also believe that the Spirit of Christ um, came on him at his baptism, and then they left, and the Spirit of God left him at his resurrection. That was another one of their false teachings that they believed. So therefore, because they didn't think 
any, that all our bodies, our matter, everything was evil. That's what they believed. It was evil. So as long as you had that knowledge, it didn't matter what you did with your body. As long as you believed it, you had it. There was no action. There was no love. There was nothing there for them to stand on. They did what felt good, not what was right. We talked about that last week. We've actually been pulling up a few um, older country songs. They're not older, but they're, they're getting older, right? There's a Dirks Bentley song that says, I know what I was feeling, but I don't know what I was thinking, right? There's that country song. It's about 15 years old now, right? But that's how we live our lives sometimes. It feels good, but then I don't know what I was thinking, right? And that's the way these Gnostics lived. So that's what John was fighting against. And so that's why he, he hit it head on. And then he wanted to give, uh, give this test. Right? And it's a three-part test. But again, the purpose of this test is to show us the strength and assurance that we have in our faith in Christ. Right? But to also get stronger in our daily walk. To get stronger in our daily walk. So, got your hand out. Take good notes because there is a final exam. And guess what? The final exam is the same for me, for you, and everyone else. It's the same final exam at Judgment Day. So, test number one is the moral or behavior test. That's what you got in your handout. It says moral, and then B is behavior. Right? Moral over behavior test. All right, and we're going to go to 1 John chapter 2. Verses 3 through 6. It says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep what? Say. If we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And just so you know, I almost titled this sermon, Are You In or Are You Out? Because you will see throughout this letter, John tells us what it means to be in Christ. Often, you see it right here. In him, you abide in him, you're in Christ. So keep an eye out for that because you'll see it all the way through. So this passage here in verse 3, right, it says, and if we... By this we know we have come to know Him, if what? We keep His commandments. It's like I said, this is a straightforward letter. It's a straightforward point. To pass this simple test, it's not simple, but to pass this test and to gain assurance of salvation, a person must be obedient to God's command. Why? Because obedient behavior is the sign that they have, that this person is saved and they have a relationship with Jesus. So, a study, I found a study um, by the University of Southern California indicating that one-third of the country, patients in this country, ignore what their doctor tells them to do. One-third. Looking at Huff because I'm sure he got a long list of what to do and what not to do. Right? Okay? But we, we all have. right? I know that I have. Right? So I, I remember years ago I had a sinus infection. I get those a lot. And I took my antibiotic on day four or five. I was feeling great. Like, I don't want to take the rest of this mess. Then what happened about day 10 or 11? What? Came back, right? They didn't follow the doctor's orders to finish the antibiotic, right? I'm sure that you've probably done the same thing in some regard. And this is somewhat related, but my wife, Renee, we were talking about it last night, and she goes, oh, the other one is when you go to the dentist. And they say, Oh, have you been flossing daily? I hate that question. I hate that question. Because they already know the answer. They can tell by looking at your teeth. But what do they tell you to do? They tell you to floss daily. Do we floss daily? No, we don't floss daily. I don't. I do it a couple times a week, but not every day. If y'all are good, hygiene, health, that's great. Thank you. I see some yes every day and some no, not every day. Right? So, but, so the, the situation, unfortunately, though, the situation, unfortunately, is not much different for believers, right? So we, God tells us what to do to be healthy 
inside and out. He tells us what to do to be healthy, but do we do it? Not all the time. Not all the time. Let's flip over to one night, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Chris was talking about the Word this morning, and I about kicked him. Like, stop it! Stop it! He's really good at that. Psalm 119. And we're going we're gonna to read Psalm 119, 1 through 16 here, and just a little color commentary as we read it. Because this is such a great passage about why we should obey God's Word and how we should just put it into every fiber, every part of our body. We need to put God's Word in our lives. You there? Good. Here's still some flipping. If you're there, say amen. All right. Most everybody's there. All right, here we go. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Who wants to be blessed? Anybody want to be blessed? I want to be blessed by God. I want to be in His presence. Right? We're blessed if we're blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 2. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. How much of your heart? Whole. Not, not part of it. You seek Him with your whole heart, who, is also, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. Whose ways? God's ways or my ways? God's ways. Right? You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Does it say, is, is diligently a little bit or a lot? If you're diligent about something, what? A lot. Be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways be steadfast in keeping your statutes. He longs for steadfastness. Right? You want to keep his statutes. Verse 6, Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments. Where are they fixed? On his commandments, God's commandments, not the world and its rules. Verse 7 is, is powerful to me. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Now when you give a kid a rule that keeps them safe and keeps them protected, but they don't get to do what they want to do, do they praise you for it? No. They don't really praise you for it. My kids are at least willing to listen to me, so thank you. And we try to explain right, some of those rules. But this verse 7 right here, it says, I praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. When I learn the rules and learn how he's protecting me, I should praise him. Sorry, I'm just going to stand like this. No, I love my kids. Love them. All right, verse 8. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Pure? What do you do? You guard it according to God's word. With my whole heart. Again, whole, not part of it. My whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. He doesn't want to be led astray. We don't want to be led astray. So how do we not be led astray? We focus on God's word. Verse 11. I have stored you up in my heart that I might not sin against you. We use God's word. We know what's right. We know what's right. If we don't want to go against God, it's right here in his word. Verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. There's hard lessons, but we have to learn from what God wants to teach us. The Holy Spirit walks with us and guides us to help us learn. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. 14, in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. We should delight in God's law and God's word more than anything else. It says right here, in all riches and more than anything else. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Again, not the world, but fix them on God's ways. And verse 16, it says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. How many people are confident enough that if somebody took your Bible, you would have enough inside of it, inside of you, to get you by? Now, it's not about the Bible, is it? It's about putting God's word in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, your lifestyle. It's about all being all part of your whole being. What I just challenged you with is a challenge for me as well. I don't feel like I know enough of it. I want to put it in there. I want to be able to cite it. It says right there, uh, back in verse 13, with my lips, I declare all of your rules. I can't speak as much as I want to speak, but I read it. I challenge it challenge myself to try to learn more 
So 119, 1 through 16. Mark that. Read it. Read it again after this. So all people know God to some extent in Romans 1.19. It states that we can see him in the creation. However, some people know him more fully and intimate than others do. Do you agree? Do you agree? Some people know God more than others. It says, occasionally a person who has been married for a long time and then gets a divorce will say to his or, of his or her spouse, I never really knew him or I never really knew her. Obviously, they knew each other in some sense, but their knowledge of one another was not very complete. It was not very intimate, right? I share that one just to show about the strength of our personal relationship and how we should have an intimate knowledge of God. Because if we truly know God, He will affect the way that we live. And if we live obediently or disobediently, we reveal just how well we know God. John wants us to get it. And he gives us two motivations for getting, for being obedient in our lifestyle. So flip up, back up with me to 1 John. 1 John, all right? Chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. 1 John, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in him. Again, where? In him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So, who has a pet? Anybody got a pet? Anybody got a pet dog? I don't know if other pets have this same phenomenon or not. But So, this verse, this verse says, trust me, I'll connect the dots here real quickly. All right? This verse talks about being ashamed, how we don't want to be ashamed when Christ comes by, right? Anybody know that puppy dog? We got a puppy dog. That puppy dog face whenever they do something wrong. I mean, ours will even go, and roll over on his belly. It's so sad. It's so sad. But right? Y'all's pets done that? Your dog do that? I mean, I know it happens because there's a whole AFV videos just for this type of thing, right? I know that it happens. But we should live our lives in a way that we are confident and unashamed because Christ will return. Either before we get to judgment or before we pass away and go, or when we pass away, we will face judgment. And when we see Christ, when we are on the throne, we should not be unashamed. We should live our lives according. To his word. Let's keep going in chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Again, there's that pure word. But who wants to be a child of God? Don't hesitate. <laughs> Don't hesitate, right? Wants to be a child of God. And look back at these passages here about what it looks like. Last week, Huff kind of paraphrased the passage at the end and put it in his own words. And so this is really good. So we just read that uh, verse, th chapter 3, verse 1. But what does it tell us about being a child of God? Right? But it says right there, we see the kind of love the Father has given us. Do you realize we're the recipients of God's love? We, as a child of God, are recipients of God's love. Right? And then it says that we shall be called children of God, and so we are. It's not just a title. Children of God is not a title. We are His true children when we come to believe in Him and accept Him as our Savior. Right? And then we do not know the, for sure the full glory of our future destiny. Right? But we do know from verse 2, the last part there, we shall be like Him. We will ultimately be conformed to Christ's 
image. And we will be face to face with God someday. We will be face to face with God someday. Let's keep going. Chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, again, in him, keeps on sinning. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Okay? Does not love his brother. So in this passage, I know it went back and forth in children and God, but essentially it tells us a couple things as far as verse 4 through 7 and 8 through 10, they actually repeat themselves. All right? Verses 4 through 7, 8 through 10 repeat themselves, but essentially it says that everyone sins. The nature of sin is lawlessness. The purpose of Christ's coming was to what? So that he might take away our sins and to destroy the devil's work so that no one keeps on sinning. No one who's born of the... Uh, born of God will continue to sin. So that is the first test, the moral or behavior test. So in your handout, right by moral behavior, there's a circle. There's a circle. So just like Miss Thomas in my English class, she would write in red ink. I'm not going to tell you what numbers or what letters she put in the top right corner of my test. But knowing what you know about God's words and his call to obedience, put in that circle what you think you would score on that test. Part two of the test is the social or love test. God calls us to a lifestyle of love. So we're going to go back a little bit in the first part of John. And we're going to pick up on 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Chapter 2, verse 7. Told you to keep your Bibles open. We're staying in it. Beloved, I am writing you in no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So remember that Gnostic division. It calls arrogance exclusive and unloving. Nobody wants to describe themselves as arrogant, exclusive, or unloving. But do our actions show that, the way that we love others? how we interact with others. So in this passage, John mentioned this is an old commandment. Right? It's not the first time love is sprinkled throughout the entire book. right? But in Leviticus 19.18, Leviticus 19.18, it reads, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Again, in Deuteronomy 6, 5, very similar. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your might. 
But John's saying there that it's not a new commandment. But when Christ came, he updated it a little bit, right? He made it new. And he made it new in several ways. And the first way is Jesus put his sanction on it. He put his authority on it. He put his stamp of approval on it. Turn with me to John 13, 34. John 13, 34. It says, A new commandment I give to you, these are the words of Jesus, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So right there, Jesus put his authority on it and he showed us a new standard, right? We are not to love others as much as we love ourselves, but we are to love others as much as Christ loved others. That's a pretty high bar. That's an incredibly high bar. Actually, look back at my notes and I've talked about the bar. We can't lower the bar because I think about, you know, when we lower the bar, if we look at the world standards of the bar, we might have to dig a hole. I feel like that sometimes. We might have to dig a hole because the world standards are not very high. But that's why Christ gives the standards. That is the high standard that we should achieve in our life as Christians. Who's ever heard of this phenomenon in sports? Playing to the level of your competition. I heard that playing to the level of your competition so you have this team it's really great really good first place record 20 and 0 and they play the team that's 2 and 9 2 and 18 or something like that right and sometimes this team down here makes a pretty good run at that team or sometimes even beat them right they even beat them Renee was telling me about they did it uh, in their in her high school volleyball they were the best team in the district. You ended up winning, I think. But it was very close to the worst place team in the district. They ended up winning. Oh, undefeated. Is that right? So they ended up winning. They kept the record intact. But she said Monday's practice wasn't too good. Right? Monday's practice was not too good. And I know it's happened, it's happened with me before as well in the sports that I've played, whether basketball or baseball or intramurals or anything like that. So, so we, we've seen that, and the correlation there is to we can't play to the level of our competition. We can't play to the world's standards and lower gods. We have to play at the level that Christ commands us. So Jesus put a new authority on it, a new standard on it, and he put a new emphasis on it as well. In Matthew 22, um, 37 through 40, it says, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law of the prophets. So, right, so he took all those, all those, right, and he put it together. He put new emphasis not more on the action, but more on the love and the motivation behind it. Jesus also made it new from a sense that love, love is bigger than us. Love is irrespectful of race, social status, sex, or any other inhibitors, right? That we try to not share love with other people. We've talked about how we must stand firm, but we must talk and act with a spirit of love and gentleness. We've talked that. And it's a reminder here. And love is new in its experience. I like this one. Love is new in its experience. As the truth of love's newness is in you, it is practiced over and over and over again. When you love people in the new way, in a way that Christ commands us, and you do it over and over and over again, it creates a new way of life in us. So check this stat at, at health. I thought it was 21 days to start a new habit. So I was a little sad when I read this number. But according to Healthline.com, it can take anywhere from 18 to 245 days to form a new habit. Like, whew, 245 days of flossing my teeth every day? Whew, to get a new habit? <laughs> right? 
But it takes a long time for something to become automatic in our lives. So that's even more important as if we're young in our walk to stay connected to God's word. And if we're more experienced in our walk, we should encourage others who may be stumbling, who haven't experienced love day and day and day. All right, let's look specifically at 1 John chapter 2, verse 10 in that passage that we read. Um, it says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So why do people stumble with this concept of love? What's the opposite of love? Hate. Yes. Hatred causes us to stumble. And when we do that, it affects, it affects our lives in three ways. It places us in the darkness. But if we're in the darkness, are we in the light? No, we're not. Right? So it takes us out of fellowship with God. It also leads us to aimless activity. Right? And when we're just out there doing whatever and we lose focus on God, that's a great spiritual danger and possibly a falling over. Flat on our face. When we have that hatred in our hearts, it also results in some mental confusion. <laughs> right? Being confused on what to do, what to do, where to go. Right? And sometimes our fear paralyzes us. Right? But the penalty of living in darkness, this is a quote, I don't have the author, but quote, he said, the penalty of living in darkness is not merely that one does not see, but that one eventually goes blind. If we stay in the darkness too long. Brian, you got that, that picture of that fish? Look at that thing. What's missing on that fish? You know I had to get fish in here. Eyes. So this is a fish. Lives in the Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Right? It stays in darkness. It doesn't even have eyes. So the penalty of living in darkness is not merely that one does not see, but that one goes blind. Thank you, Brian. So if a person lives a lifestyle of hatred, he or she will fail the test of a lifestyle of love. Okay. All right, again, John talks about this test of love in chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. So turn with me there, chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. It says, For this message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, we should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Deed and truth, right? Again here, there's a call to not just love a certain person or a certain group. There is a call to love all people. Just like we said, the opposite of love is hate. John uses this illustration of Cain and Abel to show the awful consequences of what anger and hate and making the wrong choices re reveal about that person. Because when you walk in that darkness... When you walk in that darkness, you lose the light. And when you lose the light and you commit those acts of hatred or murder, your true identity is revealed. Your true identity is revealed. Verse 313 that we just read, it says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Who wants to be hated? Anybody want to be hated? No? Nobody wants to be hated. But why should we be surprised if the world hates us when we show love toward others' people? It's because hatred is what the world knows. Cain's life is a picture of how the world works. 
Children of the devil act like the devil and the people of the world act like their father. I forgot to mention this a minute ago, but just above there in John 3, 10, I call this, 1 John 3, 10, I call this, who's your daddy verse? Who's your daddy verse? 3, 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So who's your daddy? Is it God or is it the devil? Because there is no in-between. Again, one of the themes through John's passage, you're either in or you're out of the light. Okay? All right, in the passage we just read, chapter 3, 14 through 18, it started, right, with the Cain and Abel. But then it goes down in verses 14 through 18. It says, just like Cain is the supreme example of hate, what? Christ is the perfect picture of love. Christ is the perfect picture of love. To rob a person of his life is murder, is the worst of sins. But yet to give up one's life is a supreme example of love. So when I read this, I'm like, I'm not going to run out and die for somebody. But think about all the different ways, right? Now, when I say that, it's like we shouldn't seek to do that every day. It depends on what situation you're in, right? But how do we give our lives to other people? How, what, what do we do? Does your life show anything like that? Verse 317, it says, But if anyone whose world's goods, world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. It's just like the passage in James that we looked at uh, last week with Huff when he mentioned it, right? It's all about how we walk and talk. We can't just say it. We have to walk and talk in deed and truth, right? I like, uh, I put this at the end because I know everybody probably gets hungry, right? We went to Mission Barbecue last night. I really like Mission Barbecue. It's really good. But they had really good quotes on there. And uh, talk about serving others. And this is a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It says, uh, everybody can be great because everybody can serve. That was really good. Really good. Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. And God commands us to serve. So that's test number two, social love. How would you score on that test? That's the second bubble. How would you rate yourself on that test? Just how truly loving for God's standards are you? Test number three, this is the final test, is the theological or beliefs test. Theological or beliefs test. And Joe is going to share the passage with us from 1 John 2, 18 through 27. <laughs> yeah, I think you're good. Children, it is last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last from us that they were not of us. For if they had been of us, now it might become plain that they are all are not of us. And you have all the knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth. I is of the truth. Truth is a liar, but he who denies the truth is Christ. Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If that you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Christ. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Anointing that you receive. Great gift, Morgan. So, in that passage, it talks about belief. 
Remember it talked about at the very beginning, the Gnostics, what they believed about God, about Christ. They don't believe that He was the Son of God. They denied the deity of Christ. But John calls us to that right belief. He calls us to it wholeheartedly. We have the truth. If you see it in verse 20, it says, But we have been knowing, excuse me, 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because, because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. Right? We have the truth of God's word. Therefore, we must stand on it and speak it when we're called to do so. That should be a source of encouragement to us all. And the second way that John encourages in this passage, he, calls, he cautions us to watch out for those antichrists, which in this passage is simply those Gnostics and those false teachers. Simply that, those false teachers. He encourages through the Holy Spirit. I write in verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge when you read God's word. There is power in His Spirit. The other night, Brother Dave Thomas said, he said, I just get excited. Do you guys not realize that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same resurrection power that lives in us? Amen. The excitement and the truth that the Holy Spirit that comes and lives in us and empowers us, we should live with that. This is a basic belief test for your salvation and what your belief about who Jesus truly is. To deny God's deity and his humanity is not just a wrong belief, but it is a belief that eliminates you from the family of God. John has a second test of belief. Morgan's going to read it for us. In the first John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, or for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God. This is the spirit of an antichrist was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from in the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not know God. By this we know the spirit of truth and the The word spirit comes from a word that kind of means wind or spirit with a lowercase, right? But so what did, God, what did John mean by spirit in this passage? He spoke in this passage, right, about the, there's a superhuman spirit that lives behind every human teacher. So the person that teaches this thought or this passage, what's behind them? You have to make sure you look behind them. Remember the who's your daddy verse. Who's behind them? Is, is God speaking to this person or is the devil speaking through this person? John says that we have to make sure that we are very cautious and we have to test the spirit behind each teacher. We know that we can't take headlines for granted anymore, right? We can't take those headlines for granted. We can't take for granted what people just tell us. We have to measure it up against what the Word of God says. So your belief, how would you score on the belief test? How do your beliefs with Christ line up with Scripture? All right, and we're going to close with this passage because it sums it all up. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5. It says, who, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. 
and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who it is, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John wraps up these three tests, this moral, this social, this doctrinal test. By affirming that if our lives contain the right, the biblical actions, the right biblical love and the belief, that's where our assurance of our eternal salvation comes from. It took me 22 minutes to read 1 John. I challenge you to read it again from the first word to the last word today. Today, because when you read this block right here in chapter five, it all comes together. These three tests come together to let each one of us know and give us strength and assurance that we stand on the truth with God. Last part of verse three, it says, and his commandments are not burdensome. I was like, I thought about that. You know, Huff doesn't pick on James, but. That passage, we're considered pure joy, my brother, for the trials and temptations. Like, what? Joe did that the other day. He goes, what? I was like, that sounded just like huh. Right? But that passage, like, when you first read it, like, what? Really? When I read this one, and his commandments are not burdensome, I'm like, what? You want me to do what? You want me to give this to this person? You want me to go here? You want me to do this? You want me to read this many chapters today? You want me to do this, do this, do this? You want me to do this? And then I said to myself, guess what? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the shining light in the room. And that light is God. And that light exposes. And this study, this passage exposed some darkness in my life that I need to get rid of. When we walk in God's light, we see that sin and we want to get it out. Christ has set the bar high for us. The only way we can reach it is through His grace and His grace alone. I can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. But Christ lifts us up to that bar so that we can Achieve that eternal holiness someday. Close with this quote. John's argument, his test, has gone full circle. And each of these three tests have been related to one another. Authentic, authentic, think of that word. Authentic Christians are those who believe correctly who Jesus is and who are born of God. They love both the Father and His children and also keep His commands. They are able to keep His commands because they overcome the world. That's a powerful statement. They overcome the world because they believe correctly and are therefore born of God. If you remove any of these evidences, if you remove any of this part of the test, they fail. A true believer will see all the evidence of these tests in some degree in his or her life, while perfection will not occur until the very end of time. Let's stand.